All righty, everybody. Welcome back to the Prairie Farm Podcast. We're up here in beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm. On the way here, Nicholas and I were kind of nerding out a little bit. Now, I'm not as good about nerding out over prairie grass and forbs yet like uh, Nicholas is, but we'd be mid-conversation all of a sudden and be like, whoa, that was purple coneflower. Whoa, <laughs> what was that? There were some what good ones. What they got going on over there? On the sides of the road. They're, they were beautiful. <laughs> so he's he's been trained well by our founder, his his dad, Carol Hawksbergen, uh, to uh, spot those prairie opportunities and to see how uh, <laughs> see how uh, people are doing with their CRP, how how well it's coming up, how clean it looks, and uh, it's you know it's a fun it was a fun little drive across the farm country here in northern Iowa, southern was or southern not Wisconsin. Sorry, whoa, <laughs> that, that's a touchy subject. <laughs> southern Minnesota people, Skull Vikings. <laughs> you, you know, you could probably you could probably agree with this, Bob. I am so I grew up in Illinois. Mm-hmm. So therefore, Bears fan by default. Mm-hmm. I know I I hate it as much as you do, mm-hmm. but but uh, I am I am a Bears fan by default. And uh, I saw one time somebody posted it was a Lions fan mm-hmm. posted a funny meme. They said, uh, "When we play each other, we hate each other, but against the Packers, the U- the NFC <laughs> North stands united." Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a Michigan native, and uh, so I, I'll admit to being a Lions fan, sort of. Sure. Um, really a big-time Tigers and Red Wings fan, but, uh, yeah. I, I'm <laughs> That's not a lot better this year, I Oh, feel like. but at least we've won some, yeah, you know? Yeah, at least one game, game, yeah. The Lions, oh. we don't even generally uh, admit to having an NFL team, <laughs> so. But that... You know, so I'm much more of a football fan than a, a baseball fan. I'll admit that right here on the podcast. I don't know as much. <laughs> and I, I have always sort of been a Cubs fan. When I was a real little guy, I was a Braves fan because uh-huh. we had family down in Atlanta. I had this older cousin that I thought was the coolest person in the world. He gave me like a Braves cap and all that. But, uh, you know, my dad was a big Cubs fan. We'd uh, go and hit golf balls in the summer on like Sunday afternoons. And uh, I'm not a golfer at all. I just would hit golf balls at the range with my dad. And uh, we'd always catch, you know, the Sunday afternoon, Ron Sano, and and uh, my goodness, I'm forgetting the most important person, the guy who still does it. Uh, anyways, the, the Cubs game broadcast, we'd listen to that on the road. And then, of course, 2015, you know, that's when, if, if you're mm. any kind of a Cubs fan, you got to, like, pretend that you've been one your whole life <laughs> during, the, during the, the, the World Series run. Mm-hmm. But um, tw- – I think that was the 2015-2016 years. That, so 2015, they didn't quite make it. But then 2016, they just reloaded. And Javi, of course, was a you know fan favorite through all that. And then you know over the last three, maybe four seasons now, you've just kind of watched as everyone from that that era has drifted on. And the 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 temporary of pro sports is just it's kind of a bitter pill to <laughs> to swallow at times, but. Yeah, even in big markets like Chicago, you know, yeah. they're having a hard time holding on to to some of these players. You know, it's it's a different era where you got to reload through the draft, mm-hmm. and um, you know, you lose some of your favorites through free agency, and yep. you know, uh, even the Yankees, you know, they're yeah. not winning World Series no. every single year, um, but. Uh, uh yeah different era different yep. era i i grew up in the 80s and in the 90s and it was fun because there were 
there weren't really as many dynasties. Like it was, sure, you yeah. know, the Orioles won a year, then the Tigers won, right? then the Royals won, and it, you know, and the Mets won. Like it, everybody took turns, yeah, and, uh, yeah. and things have changed a little bit. Yep, yep. Yeah, we have kind of been the era of sports dynasties for my whole, you know, I'm a millennial, so mm. you, know, you had the Bulls when I was a little kid, and of course that was a ton of fun, you know, watching Jordan and and uh, all their uh, all their uh, championships they won. And then uh, the Patriots, mm-hmm. you know, through middle school and high school. And, you know, then you kind of had the, the Warriors. Well, mm. and even the Lakers mixed in there too that, mm-hmm. that were doing it year after year. And, uh, yeah, it's just been, been – I never thought of it that way, but definitely a dynasty era. And then, of course, now even for college football, Alabama, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the SEC in general. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it is fun to have that variety in there. And, you know, I used to really – we're turning this into a sports talk conversation <laughs> for people. But I, I used to, like, loathe some of those teams, be like, ah, oh, I'm so sick of them winning. And it, like, a switch flipped to my brain. And it was like, you know what, Kent, maybe you should just appreciate the fact that these people are so dedicated to being the very best. Hmm. And, uh, you know, being a Bears fan, they're not dedicated to being the very best. <laughs> oh, man. Well, well if I, I'll try to bring this full circle back to, <laughs> to um, you know, hunting and habitat. Like, um, I, I, I worked in sports coming out of sure. college. I worked uh, seven years in minor league baseball, and I, you know, wow. I, I loved it. Um, but I, I sort of am a mild fan nowadays, you know, mm, yeah. and, and, um, I, the, the fact like NFL, I, I listen to when I'm going from spot to spot, sure. um, yep. on Sunday yep. afternoon and I'm, I'm blessed. My, my wife is a huge Packers fan, so oh, man. she is a diehard destination She's had some Packers years. on Sunday. <laughs> so she, I'm blessed that she loves it so much that like, I, I, Whatever I want to do on Sunday is fine as long as she can watch the Packers. <laughs> and so I I have a free free card to pretty much just <laughs> go wherever I want, do whatever I want, uh, as long as uh, she and Aaron Rodgers can spend the Sunday yeah. together. <laughs> That's you know? right. That's right. Um, which is cool, but uh, you know, it, it's sort of the soundtrack of of my Sunday hunting. But yep. um, I. I you know, I don't care about it as much as, as I once did, and I care so much more about the experiences in the outdoors that yes, I get to share yeah. with my wife when she comes along with yep, me yep. And, and, you know, my friends and, and particularly my my bird dogs. Yeah, so, for so sure. What what got you there? Because, I mean, imagine you working in sports, you're, you're diehard sports uh, yeah. for a while, and then all of a sudden, well, probably not all of a sudden, What? where did that start to happen? Yeah, I mean, I grew up a uh, kid in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, grew up uh, grouse hunting and fishing. I love the outdoors, but I was going to be Alan Trammell's successor at shortstop <laughs> for the Detroit Tigers. Um, I love the outdoors, but I was going to be a Major League Baseball player, and Somewhere along the way, like most kids, I learned I can't hit a curveball. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, you know, I played baseball all growing up, but uh, I, I learned I needed a, a good education, sure. went to school, got a degree, and, and lo and behold, I, uh, an owner of a minor league baseball team came and talked to my marketing class my senior year of college. And wow, this is amazing. Like everything I've been going to school for and here's an opportunity to get into 
baseball, right. what I dreamed of. And class gets over and everybody walks out the door and like, I'm going up and talking to that guy. <laughs> yeah. and, and I went up and talked to Mike Veck, who is the owner of the St. Paul Saints. His dad's in the Hall of Fame, okay. um, owner of the White Sox, sure. and yeah. in, invented the explodable, um, exploding scoreboard. And just, he's a Hall of Famer, right? right so I, right. I, I went up to his son, Mike Veck, who owned a minor league team in, in St. Paul. And I was like, I want your job. How do I get it? And uh, <laughs> three weeks after that, I had an internship. Um, with the St. Awesome. Paul Saints for the summer of uh, 1996. Wow. And the Saints, if you, they were an independent minor league team. So it was independent, not affiliated with major league teams. So it was okay. a last chance opportunity for players that didn't get drafted or were in the minor league system but never kind of made their way. Sure. Um, you know, maybe it was an injury, you know, or couldn't they couldn't hit a curveball right, right. Uh, or it was like a last chance opportunity for players like daryl strawberry who got oh, in trouble yeah, with right. drugs or yep. jack morris played there who was hmm. getting to the end of his career and he wanted one more major league contract so sure. it was a really kind of a melting pot of ages and experience levels and I got to spend my summer in 96 there with that team that had Daryl and Jack. And, oh, that's cool. Um, it, it was a great experience um, being an intern, and there's only eight employees. Wow. So you learn everything from selling tickets to outfield billboard advertising to radio spots, sure. radio broadcast to picking up weeds along the warning track, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, you do everything. Yeah. Roll hot dogs, deliver beer, you name it. Yep. So it, it really built on kind of a Midwestern, like, hardworking ethic that I yep. had it, as a kid growing up in the UP. Sure. And um, just really worked my tail off. And at the end of that season, I got a job opportunity to stay with the Saints. And I spent seven years working in minor league baseball, worked uh, my way up to assistant cool. general manager. And I'm proud I, I was acting general manager on five occasions, five games, and I'm 5-0 wow. and o as a, wow, as a GM. Cool. And uh, so seven years in the minors is actually kind of a long time. And, and yeah. it's like, okay, I'm getting closing in on my 30s. Like, okay, what's my next career move and uh along the way i'd met joe dugan and howard vincent uh two of the leaders of pheasants forever yeah and mike veck my boss at the the saints was uh, also being hired by the detroit tigers to become the uh, vice president of marketing uh long story short i had two job opportunities to be the director of public relations with pheasants forever and this is the December of 02, be director of public relations with Pheasants Forever, or be the director of marketing, joining Mike with the Detroit Tigers, my yeah. childhood team. Yeah. So it was really, as you can imagine, yeah, challenge like, two dream jobs. Right. <clears throat> but ultimately, like, you know, okay, Tigers, Pheasants Forever, outdoors, baseball, <laughs> Twin Cities, Detroit. I mean, it'll, a lot to consider there. I, I, I went, uh, probably, elected, let's obviously. See, if, I, if I work first shift work for the Tigers. <laughs> right. <then laughs> hop in my car, make it all the way to Minnie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Spoiler alert, I'm on uh, the Hoxie Native Seed uh, podcast. So I, I selected Pheasants Forever. Yeah, right. uh, and it's, it's been a wonderful 20 years now 
with wow. the organization. Um, it was a tough decision, uh, but really, you know, every day with this job, I go to work knowing that I ha- I'm having a broader impact yes. on something that I care really deeply ab- about. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like the Tigers. You know, I pay attention to the box score, but I love the uplands. Yep. I, I love birds. I love bird dogs. I love that sense of freedom that you experience when you're chasing your bird, bird dog through the woods or through the fields. Yeah. Um, I, it's just a deeper connection than sports will ever be a, anymore for me. Yes. And uh, it's sports is entertainment. It's an amusement, mm. right? Yep. Um, the outdoors is a lifestyle. Mm. Um, it's part of who I am as a person. It's the fabric of who we are as human beings. And Absolutely. when you think about, like, it, it, this might come off as a preposterous statement for some people, but when you think about Pheasants Forever and you think back to, I remember, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yep. right? You learn that yep. where, like, food, water, shelter. What we do every single day at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever is create Maslow's hierarchy of needs for mm. humankind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cleaner water, better place to live, right? I mean, yep. healthier soils, cleaner air, wildlife that sustains us through whether it's enjoyment or food. Right. You know, everything that we do as a nonprofit conservation organization has really deep meaning into who we are as an American culture and the freedoms that we cherish. And that's. You know, we got we took a long winding road to get here through talk of the Packers and the Tigers, but mm. that you know is the best way that I can articulate how mm. much this job, this lifestyle, really means to me. That's different than sports ever will be. And Amen. It, that'll, that'll preach. That's that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's, yeah. that's that's spot on. Well, you know, ready for this transition, Nicholas? So let's say our guest could have hit a curveball <laughs> you would have seen out there for the detroit tigers the back of a jersey reading saint pierre mm. because our guest who we have not we have not introduced <laughs> to <you> yet <laughs> our guest is mr bob saint pierre of pheasants forever and quail forever he is i like to refer to him as the voice of pheasants <laughs> forever so it kind of has that you know it kind of has that sports uh title to it that way you mm. know kind of like the voice of the Tigers, you know, <laughs> the voice of pheasants forever, Mr. Bob St. Pierre. Um, I've actually had the privilege of, of interviewing Bob one other time. And uh, just through our limited interactions, I don't think I've met a person more passionate about hmm. not only what they're doing, but really what we're doing here with the Prairie Farm Podcast, what, what he described as a passion or a love for the uplands. We're hoping that uh, you're joining us because either, A, you already have that, or B, you're starting to find that. And uh, I guess there can be an option for a C, too. I mean, who am I to limit people on where they stand? But maybe yeah. you haven't found it yet. And we hope that after listening to people like Bob, like Carol, like Nicholas, like myself, and on and on, uh, you'll see that that the prairie, the, mm. the wild spaces here, uh, as, as Leopold called them, the blank spaces on the map have incredible value still. Speaking of prairie, mm. we had a question for you. Mm-hmm. It's it's very out of the blue, but mm. we were we were kind of curious. So if we said if we said prairie, 
And mm-hmm. we'll just have a conversation. We word, said word association game. All you right. Get, <laughs> you, get, you get five words, five <clears throat> first thoughts that come to mind. Wow. Well, you know, I immediately think of different prairie flowers when you say prairie. Um, okay. You know, we, we talk a lot in this organization about um, diversity um, of habitat and mm-hmm. having a mix of different prairie flowers with grasses and prairie habitat, or I'm sorry, um, uh, prairie flowers create tremendous brood habitat. Mm. You know, they pull at insects, which the yes. chicks eat. So when you say prairie, I immediately think like lupin, cup plant, compass plant, um, butterfly milkweed. Wow, you're uh, getting heavy hitters right off the bat. Uh, yeah, spiderwort. In, yeah. in part, like, so I'm a huge lover of a vegetable garden. I have a vegetable garden in my backyard right next to it. My wife's name is Meredith, and we have Meredith's Meadow. And Meredith's Meadow is a pollinator garden right yes. next to it. So, it. you know, we really, I, as a couple, we've always loved, like, and she grew up as a vegan. Okay. Um, so I, I've sort of, like, gotten her connected to wild foods, hunting sure. and fishing, and she, sure. she loves it now, right? And then you, you sort of add the vegetable component yes. and then the pollinators from the, the plants, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, like a, day, a nightly ritual for us is go down to the freezer, grab a pheasant, a quail, piece of venison, throw it on the grill, and as it's cooking, like I, I take the tour around the yard, right? Yeah, yeah. Check out, wow. check out what's happening in the garden. And you know, obviously, there's pollinators in the garden with the pepper plants, and, yep. d- yes. you know, whatever's blossoming. And then you pop over to Meredith's Meadow, and like right now, as we're recording in, in June, Lupin, mm-hmm. my my particularly my favorite why why, why is that your favorite i saw you post that on instagram which by the way we're going to share bob's instagram to make sure if you're listening you know how to follow along with him but if you do you will see that bob posted the other day that lupin is his favorite prairie flower yeah um there's a couple i love purple i love purple flowers and spider warts another one that's purple um i've in there's a lot of lupin along Lake Superior, um, okay. which is another place that I sense of place is really important to me. And certain flowers in the prairie mm-hmm. or different parts of the country connect with me. And sure. so when I walk through that backyard and I see lupin, I actually like think back to places I've been. And mm. and later wow. in the summer, you know, because there's different bloom periods yep. for all these flowers, right? Like compass plants and cup plants which grow like sunflowers and compass plants which is a remarkable plant how it follows the sun Mm. around the day right and i look at those plants and i think it's almost quail season because those (laughs) those those quail love that tall structured sunflower type plants Mm -hmm. and you know when you're walking through a prairie and you see any sort of that family, right? Kind of like Cop, a, a beacon, cr- right? Yeah, it's like, they're going to be a covey of quail right there, <laughs> you know? And, and you, you see them in bloom, and, you know, we're only a couple months away. Yeah. And so you asked me a really simple word association question. About, <laughs> no, that's about, great. That's what we're hoping for. But, but yeah, I, I, I think about different flowers, and, and, um, and, you know, I also, like, they bloom at different 
times of the year too, right? You get your early, your mid, and mm-hmm. your late blooming, and they connect with different things for the time of the year and that's critically important for mother nature and for honeybees and monarchs you know so they have a food source throughout the entirety of the year and you know converse or related is for the for those chicks whether Hmm. you know we're talking about quail chicks or pheasant chicks or turkey broods like those insects that are attracted by the flowers you know pheasant chicks aren't eating bumblebees right but they're they're it's attracting those grasshoppers and those beetles and um, those insects as they grow, that's their primary food source when they're young. So, you know, we, you know, depending on your audience, if you're talking about pollinator habitat, like instantly, I I think brood habitat and and they're identical. Mm -hmm. So prairie for me is, I think I'm a visual person like most human beings. You know, you mm-hmm. think the flowers and the grasses are incredibly important too, but it's not usually the grasses that are struggling, right? It's like we need more nurturing of those flowers. But the reality is it's the, it's the combo that, right. that makes it a successful habitat for all the wildlife that mm-hmm. we care about. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So word association was fun. I give you, you know, I'm a former teacher, <laughs> A plus on that, full credit. You know, you're already alluding to it, right? Mm. You have this this incredible appreciation for for wildlife habitat, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people, you know, I think kind of the elephant in the room, Nick, Nicholas and I were talking about this just on our, you know, we're getting a lot of quality time together today. We, <laughs> uh, we met at 630 and we'll probably pull in at, I don't know, around nine o'clock tonight, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. But uh, and one, one of the things we talked about today was addressing the elephant in the room, hmm. right? And uh, with this whole conversation, and uh, um, listeners may not know this yet about me, other, other than when we uh, interviewed uh, uh, Paul Adama the other day, we talked a little bit about my interesting uh, uh, post-hunt garden fertilizer that I used recently. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I am a hunter. I'm an avid hunter. Uh, that's my other podcast I run is, is, is a hunting based podcast Mm -hmm. where I, I interviewed Bob previously and, uh, the elephant in the room here is not everybody is okay with hunting. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm not going to turn this into a, a debate where Bob and I beat into you that no hunting is good, (laughs) but, but, um, hunting is, is a unique activity. Um, I like to say, uh, when you first start hunting, and you show up in a wild place like a prairie or uh, it could be the woods as a deer hunter or something like that. When you show up, you show up with a different mentality. You're more in tune with the immediate. You're living in the moment fully because every step you take matters. And um, uh, you, you, you just develop this sense of, wow, I, you know, I am a part of this ecosystem right now. You know, I'm not just a, I'm not just a passive viewer. Mm-hmm. I'm somebody in here who's, who's I guess for lack of a better term, playing for keeps. Right? I'm here as a member for at least today, and you develop this new appreciation, this depth of appreciation for that space, right? The flora and fauna, and I sense that that has happened for you. You know, you kind of told us a little bit about your backstory with with uh, 
uh, being really interested in sports growing up and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, maybe not so much thinking about these things. I don't know. Maybe you did. Maybe you were maybe you were that kid that uh, really you know had all the the little rubber toy animals in your toy box and you you really were were into that. Or, I knew a kid once who had a bunch of animal flashcards. Future science teacher, by the way, but um, maybe you already were really in tune with that. But I got to imagine, even if you were, your appreciation for uh, upland habitat, mm. prairie, has that matured while you've appreciated it as a hunter? I, undoubtedly, right? Um, I think that it, mat- it um, evolves as you hunt more, also as you mature as an adult. Yeah. And you have growing cognitive abilities. <laughs> yeah, um, fully formed amygdalas don't come around to <laughs> 25. Sorry, sorry Nicholas. No, I'm just so, I, certainly, you know, I grew up in uh, Upper Peninsula, Michigan, where just to give you a sense of the culture, like, there is no school on the opening day of deer season. Wow. Um, so that in, in Michigan, deer season starts on um, November 15th. doesn't matter what day of the week it is. It's sure. November 15th, and that, that's a Tuesday. There is no school. Like school's wow. closed. <laughs> Teachers wow, are happy awesome. about it. Students are happy about it. Everybody's. Yep. And honestly, they're not going to school the rest of the week either because they're right. going to go deer hunting. Um, so it's part of the culture there still today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's be and it is that way for family traditions. The connection to family. It's also that way um, because it's very much connected to food. Um, people deer hunt in the UP. It's not a super wealthy area it's like it's fill the freezer right and so i did grow up um always hunting and fishing and part of it was you know it wasn't like we were living meal to meal but it was important for us to have a little success and have a fish fry and Mm. and you also savor that too right right? You, you have that connection to that food and you appreciate the living animal and Back to a Leopold quote, mm-hmm. you know, that chicken that you buy in the styrofoam package, so many, so many of American uh, people today don't associate that with a living animal, let alone yeah. a prairie or, or the mm-hmm. land. Yep. And, and Leopold assessed that in the Sand County Almanac in the 60s, yep. right? We're still um, trying to get regular popular culture to understand that, yep. um, that the food we eat, whether it's you know beef or chicken, there is a living animal that lived because of how it was treated on the land. And mm-hmm. wild animals bring you much closer to that, yes, um, to the food source. So from that, so you asked a very multi-layered question, yeah. in my opinion. Um, so very close to my upbringings, um, f- hunting, fishing, and foraging, morel mushrooms, asparagus, ramps, part of who I was raised to be. Sure. As I kind of became an adult, I left college, left the sports world for a career in this. Mm-hmm. Um, natural that, you know, I got bird dogs named them after sports heroes. There you go. <laughs> First one was Trammel, <laughs> second one was Iserman. Yeah, I named there them after go. sports. So I didn't leave sports all the time. <laughs> but you, you certainly, as you get out in the field more, um, you are able to assess um, the hunting scenarios like you would if you're the shortstop for the Tigers. You know, there's mm-hmm. a guy on first, 
okay, am I going to shade to the left or the right? Is a fastball coming? Is a curveball coming? Right? Sports analogy. Same thing is true when you're hunting, right? Sure. Where's the wind blowing? What kind of habitat do we have? For what time of day is it? You know, what are we hunting? What are they loafing? Are they eating? Are they roosting? Are they going to roost? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, people are sports junkies. They're very similar thought process yeah, and breaking down scenarios with hunting. Um, but it's it's much deeper than that, as you allude to. Yeah, you can break it down X's and O's. Yep. But then you start to understand the that this is a part of the lifestyle, like this part of who you are deeper than winning or losing. Yep. It's in the, in hunting is, in, is the, the death, the kill at the end is the, is the very end of the sentence. The, it's the last, last sentence of the last chapter of the novel, right? It's yes. that period. Um, it's important. It's closure, but it's not the entirety. It's a right. hunt. It's not killing. It's a hunt. Right. And, is a long and winding answer. But one thing you you asked about earlier, like how do I connect with the prairie? What are the things that I relate to prairie? And I think about different plants and times of year. And I do connect hunting in that experience to a very specific uh, love of a sense of place. And I, I love a sense of place in books and in music. Like if I'm... Traveling to Arizona, I'm listening to Roger Klein and the Peacemakers because it's Arizona music and, and, you know, you're hunting an Arizona bird. um, So that sense of place, you know, knowing where you are, you feel Mm. when you're hunting and when you can assess that habitat and be connected to that moment and that place, uh, you have a really, really deep experience with it. And it, for me, it comes full circle on the dinner table at the end of that hunt okay, too, yeah. right? Like, yep. So you've, you've trained your dog, you've, you, you've practiced your shooting, you've figured out how to play the X's and O's. Things work out. Your dog goes on point, a bird flushes, you make a shot. You know, you maybe even have buddies that um, like will harvest rose hips from a sharp tail area, mm-hmm. right? And, bring that back and use that to create a side dish or some yep. sort of sauce. And at that, at the end, you have that meal and you get to experience that whole scenario again and relive the place. And that does connect you back to the prairie, to the land, to the bird. And it has a much deeper meaning than that final moment when you made the shot. So yeah. Well, Again, so. you asked me. <laughs> you asked me a really simple question. <laughs> I talked for a long time, but it, it, you know, ultimately, I want people to understand. You know, they may be coming to this podcast thinking about you know learning about prairies and habitat. It is important for us to tell our story as hunters. Mm-hmm. Hunters yeah. contribute so much economically to the habitat and public places, public spaces, you know, national parks, mm-hmm. um, wildlife management areas that we have and enjoy uh, as mm-hmm. being Americans. And hunters and anglers pay the way for so much of that. Mm-hmm. And it isn't, you know, so we can throw a blaze orange park on and go shoot a buck. That's, that's part of it. But mm-hmm. it is, you know, it is so much deeper. We're not... 
You know, we're not an army of rednecks. We're educated, yep. passionate, mm. loving people that um, that care deeply about wildlife and sharing the joys of great habitat and um, robust wildlife populations and a glorious meal um, from an animal that lived its best possible life, better than any, you know, chicken in a cage mm-hmm. um, until the very final moment in that's all you can ask for. Yeah, very well said. That's so good, and I, I would attest to that. I've, you know, been a part of a prairie farm for a long time now, <laughs> and uh, for sure over half. I, I don't know how many, but or what exact percentage, but for sure over half of the people who not only buy prairie and are establishing habitat um, are hunters, but the people who tend to care for it the most and do the most due diligence and really set up habitat in a correct fashion, they tend to be hunters. And and a lot of them, you know, hunt a little bit, but also care so much about the wildlife. And they're not, um, you know, they're not just in it for for just fun and games. They they are in it because they are so in love with the land and Mm -hmm. so connected to it, like you were saying. And they get connected, and this is true of myself, like that, Meredith's Meadow in the backyard, and talk about, I go visit the exact same lupin plant every single day, right? Wow. The same. And hunters, you know, when they, you know, maybe they own 80 acres of CRP, right? And they've got a diverse mix of uh, pollinator habitat in there and, you know, switch grass and they've got their nesting cover, their winter. And they, they go visit those different areas and they know very specifically that plant. They care for that plant. They grow that plant. That plant mm-hmm. is going to create habitat and, and, and it's going to foster insect production, which is going to be beneficial to the pheasants that they're trying or, or, or the quail that they're trying to produce. So, you know, it, yeah, like it's a, so superficially we're judged by the kill at the end of the hunt. Mm-hmm. But whether... You know, it's the oak tree in that grove or the compass plant in your backyard prairie. Like there's an emotional connection to plants, too, yeah, because yes. we love the the land. We love all that it represents and the experiences that yeah. we value as part of our lives. Man. Yeah, very That's well awesome. said. And, you know, I was, I was thinking while Bob was very eloquently stated uh one of the best cases I've ever heard for for uh, hunters there. So nicely done, Bob. I'm gonna I'm gonna like save that little separate sound by yeah. there and, and, uh, memorize and it. Memorize it. It'll, it. it'll be published someday. Yeah. But um, no, that that was very well said. And I was thinking, you know, when you see those places go away, be removed, mm. the the blank spaces on the map get get tilled up. So when Bob was was talking earlier, you know that the part that I was thinking of is. The blank spaces on the map that we talked about earlier, when when those go away, when they get tilled over, cut down, sometimes even just mowed down for a season, right? And uh, you see a hunter sees that habitat disappear. Nobody cries louder and more bitterly. (laughs) There might be people who do just as much, but in general, than what the hunter does because they understand Mm -hmm. the displacement. Hunters see that displacement for wildlife, you know. I was just talking with uh, uh, my best friend last night, uh, who's a, a farmer, and he's he's a teacher as well, and and uh, uh, enjoys hunting. 
We talk about habitat all the time. We spend a lot of time in each other's CRP fields, either hunting or looking for uh, shed antlers or, or whatever. You know, uh, we've done a, you know some burning together of CRP acres. But uh, what we were talking about is you can never have it perfectly, you know, on this planet. There's always some kind of displacement that mm. takes place. But I think that that everyone listening in right now, all of us here in this recording room, we all are looking for ways to support not just the critters that live there, not just the, the bugs, the mammals, the birds, even the reptiles and amphibians that use prairie, but we are looking to take care of those plants too and how to how to get more of them on the landscape and and then we get to see the full picture of how that affects all those critters that that live there too and Mm -hmm. and uh uh, i think that that's where we find our common bond you know we may not look at things the exact same way and you know what there's a good chance uh, not everybody will always see the same way Mm, but that's okay and that's okay and and uh I think what we need to look for, though, is that common ground where we are trying to to make a healthier surface area on this planet, one that, that houses more wildlife, brings about more of that diversity that Bob was talking about earlier in the interview. And, uh, you know, I often think if we were to have all these wild places go away and we were to see more species extirpated or even go extinct, what a boring life it would be to not have all these things here and uh, to interact with them, to appreciate them. Uh, Bob and I choose to interact with them by, by uh, learning about them and so we can hunt them and, and enjoy them as table fare. And, and, uh, but also, like Pheasants Forever does, uh, promote their existence so that there's more of them and, uh, uh, and, and more people across the landscape can enjoy them. It's just a much more beautiful portrait to see all that diversity on the landscape and i think that a prairie is the most perfect example of that portrait Uh, you see all the different plants all the different animals coming together in this grassland and uh that's just so full of life you know yeah when you think about a healthy prairie all of your senses are engaged Mm. you're like what do you mean like I mean, visually, that's pretty easy, yep. right? Grass, yep. different structures, flowers. Okay, smell, mm. right? You can smell, yep. a, especially like after a rain. Oh right? yeah, mm-hmm. right? yep. you can smell sound. Mm. When there's a really healthy prey, listen. Mm-hmm. You'll hear birds. You'll hear insects. Mm-hmm. Right? The Maybe wind a in the rooster grass. Cat. It's amazing. It's a symphony. Yeah. of sound if it's a monoculture of one anything mm-hmm. it's quiet it's yeah. silent but when it's a diverse mix of flowers and grasses it's music yeah right yep. i mean it, 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 smell you know and sound i mean it's just your entire being is engaged yeah. uh touch the different structures of plants when you're walking through them, yep. right? Talk about exercise when you're yeah, oh, you're yeah. busting switchgrass, <laughs> right? Yeah, oh yeah. Those hip flexors, they they yeah. let you know they're still there, <laughs> right? Yeah, so it just you know, there's something deep there when when you're talking about um, you know the how you and how we 
the human beings engage with prairie, mm-hmm. engage with habitat. We're beings too, right? Yep. We mm-hmm. we feel a heck of a lot more comfortable uh, out in the prairie than we do in a concrete jungle. Amen. You, you know, you think about being on vacation. Where do you go on vacation? Right. Well, some people go to Vegas, yeah. but, <laughs> but but I don't. Right, I, right. I go to the I go to the outdoors. Yeah, and um, that's healing, mentally and physically. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Very well said. I'll even throw taste in there too. That's mm-hmm. the other one. You ever have some uh, delicious uh, prairie uh, prairie raised honey? <laughs> oh man! Oh, I, it's that, good. that's. My family goes through a ridiculous amount of honey. <laughs> I bet we go through, I don't know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a gallon every two months mm. of of honey. I eat it every day. It's my it's my second favorite food next to venison backstrap. <laughs> uh, also, if you're ever cleaning little blue stem, uh, you taste it for about two weeks afterwards. Good it's to know. Good to know. So yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it tastes is definitely engaged. It's in there. yeah yeah. So and, and then of course even through hunting it or or. Uh, I'm sure there's uh, some some. I'm not very well educated on this, so I might be speaking out of turn here. But I'm sure there's some edible herbs or or uh, uh, even flowers that grow in prairie mixes as well that that could be good little garnishes. Now I got to research this to make sure. I'm <laughs> <back> <laughs> <check myself. laughs> Nicholas doesn't have to be edited. Nicholas, clap again so you know where to edit. <laughs> All three participants in this <laughs> podcast died after. <laughs> 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 it tasted like peppermint. Yeah, I don't know why they call it famous last wart. words. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I've chewed on a lot of plants while that's I, true. I, just as a kid, walking fields, mm-hmm. any kind of weed or grass or flower you can imagine. I've you know you just stick it in your mouth, you chew it, and sometimes it's real dry out there. You're just trying to suck the one drop of water that's in there. You're just off of, and the next plant you're sucking on. I'm, yeah. Well, I'm actually going to let everybody in on a little industry secret. I should have just went with this. I would have sounded a whole lot smarter. Carol taught me while I was cleaning some seed this spring uh, that you can do a little tooth test with the seed to see if it's uh, got good germ to it or not. Hmm. And uh, yeah. it's a nice, firm little bite down, and you get, probably got a good seed there. And if it's not, then you know, maybe a piece of chaff or <laughs> wheat seed or something else. But, but I used uh, to see Dad just like he'd be like looking through seed, and he's just... And I was like, what in the world are you doing? Uh, Mom, did you know dad doesn't like your dinner? He's just yeah. eating at work all day. But uh, yeah, I found out later, I think in high school, that, that a good bite on it shows the whether it's got a good germ or not. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, segment of Hoxie Native Seed Podcast <laughs> brought to you by CBD Gummy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe we could get Gordon Ramsay Taste out here. The prairie. To, right, right. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> That's funny. Well, yeah. So, so uh, clearly, Bob, you're a, a person who appreciates prairie, and and not just for self-serving reasons, which I think can be can be uh, thrown in there for, like you said, for hunters. You know, we can people look at, oh, you just want more things to chase after. And that's not true. Uh, but you know, as we close this up, I like to always get like a glimpse into the future a little bit from hmm. from different people's perspectives because we all have a different. That's a great thing about the future. Everyone's got their own take on it, right? Mm. It hasn't happened yet. But right now, it's kind of an interesting time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people are becoming more aware to the importance of prairie. Right. To, and not just prairie, to, to all of our different biomes and, mm-hmm. and all the ecosystems that exist within those biomes. And, and 
Um, we, we, I think the majority of us are coming around to see that we got some really, you know, maybe not as bad as things have been before, but right now we got some pretty significant uh, ecological issues Mm -hmm. on our plate Mm -hmm. that um, our generation, the here and now has to deal with. And we're starting to hear how prairie can play a role in that. The carbon sequestration right in the roots Mm-hmm. of that plant you know you look at big blue stem and the the root systems of you know, of remnant prairie really that's that's kind of the story behind how hoxie came to be you know the this these dormant root systems that had been dormant for maybe 100 years all of a sudden burst back into life when given the mm-hmm. chance because uh they held so much life and therefore carbon the foundation of life was there so we can pull carbon in stored in root systems more plants on the ground, a perennial plant, better soil cover, therefore less carbon leaving the soil going back into the atmosphere. So it hold, helps hold more carbon in the soil. And, and even then, this other big crisis that's interwoven within it, but, but a separate issue in of itself, pollinators. Hmm. How, do we, how do we preserve our hmm. pollinators? You know, we see all that too. And so I think people are understanding the science, right? They're, they're starting to hear it from enough places. But how do we get people from just a knowledge of, okay, these things are important. In your mind, how, how can we help people take that next step and say, you know what, we're going to get some more prairie on here, or, or, or maybe even just more trees or more, more of this this value that we have in, in sequestering carbon and promoting pollinators, whatever mm. else, mm. how do we go from just that head knowledge to an action, you know, an action item? Mm-hmm. Mm. That's the hundred million dollar yeah, question. That's right. That's, right. that's a challenge. If you answered it right. 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 <laughs> well, part of it, um, you know, if we look for silver linings out of a pandemic, mm-hmm. um, it, um, American public went, to the outdoors hmm. when they were told to social distance yeah, that's true. in greater numbers than any time that's in my very true. lifetime. So they picked up fly rods. They picked up spinning reels. They picked up a over-under shotgun. Mm-hmm. They went hunting and fishing. They picked up a backpack and went hiking. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's funny. like You, you kind of have to experience things before you care about them. Mm. You know, whether you play baseball in Little League, well, all of a sudden you're watching the Detroit Tigers. That's right. Um, you go fishing with mom, and all of a sudden, you know, catching bluegills is pretty important to you. Yeah. And so I think over the course of the last couple of years, a lot of American society started caring more about the outdoors, about yeah. nature. Um you know, there was already a sort of a locavore food movement, knowing yeah. where your food comes. And I think that got magnified through being having a stronger connection with the outdoors. So um, I think I'm optimistic. I'm, I, I'm an optimistic person by nature. But I, I think all of those things you prefaced with the biological and science-based knowledge that we have of climate resiliency being connected to how we treat the land mm. our water quality and water yeah. uh, having enough water period right. is connected to how we treat the land 
healthy soils mm-hmm. and the food we raised, whether that's through corn or through prairie for, you know, raising beef cattle, right? It's mm-hmm. how we treat the land. Mm-hmm. So you connect a pandemic to climate resiliency and better science connected with um, people developing a stronger love mm-hmm. for all those things. And I'm optimistic that the tide is turning for all of us to um, um, raise our voice. And you know, part of it, we see it with people using their dollars, right? Yeah. They, the explosion of organic grown meats and vegetables. Like mm-hmm. You go into your favorite grocery store and 10, 15 years ago, there weren't sections devoted to that. That's true. Right? That's there, true. People and, and, you know, companies that have sustainability divisions where they are trying to raise dog food or cereal through sustainable means. Mm-hmm. And they're putting that on the boxes of products mm-hmm. because the American public votes with their dollars. So you add that layer to the mix, too. And, you know, then the wild card is, can we get our elected officials? So all these packages where they're, you know, putting the logos of sustainability and they're marketing this, you know, American public is voting with their dollars on what they buy. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the final piece to that puzzle that brings it all together in my mind is, can we get our elected officials to move the needle on Mm. um, how we treat the land with growing CRP acres in the farm bill, creating other opportunities for our land-owning public to do conservation work that benefits water quality, climate resiliency, and um, carbon sequestration, Mm. um, soil health, and ultimately wildlife. Uh, Wildlife, Mm. at our organization, obviously, that's the top of the bullseye or top of the pyramid but right. you know healthy wildlife kind of includes us you know yeah, that's right you know, we're, that's we're, right. we're part that's right. of the web of life yep. and we all learn that you know first grade or third grade depending on you know what state you grew up in right. <laughs> fifth grade in the up but uh, <laughs> oh, no. but but Newport. you're right yeah, say yeah to the up eh? <laughs> uh, but, but that web of life um, we're part of that. And if we want to ha- still be a healthy part of it, we have to treat the entirety like we learned yeah. in first, third, or fifth grade. <laughs> um, and, and then, uh, you know, I'm optimistic that we can um, uh, treat our planet better and yeah. we'll all have a better existence. Yeah. Wow. I like that optimism. And I, and I agree. I think for the maybe the first time, I, I feel more optimistic about the you know, just within the last couple of years here, the, that people are finally paying more attention, and, and they want yeah. they want to know how to act. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? I think Bob actually kind of gave us a little a little key to that when he was describing his own yard earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of carbon being sequestered in the St. Pierre yard there, and uh, there's there's a lot of more sustainable way of living by participating in how you're you know procuring your own food. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, less less fuel burned to get it there from from uh, source to mouth, and and um, I think that all of those aspects are something. That doesn't matter if you do live in the concrete jungle or you uh, own. You know, I, I I just got back from uh, Montana and I I saw that a an eleven thousand acre ranch had just sold. 
you know, I'm sure there's just a you know wow. real, real casual price on that. But uh, uh, maybe you own that, that 11,000 acre ranch, but you can put some of these things into practice yourself too. They're, they're really, it's something we can all participate in, or maybe it's just as simple as, like Bob said, voting with our dollars, right? Mm-hmm. We, we look to support um, those organizations that are trying to make a difference, that are trying to do things in a more sustainable way, and uh, really share that optimistic view for how can we make this a better place for all wildlife, ourselves included, and ring mm. ringneck pheasants and bobwhite quail and and uh, every other critter under the sun. You know, as a final thought, it, it um, it's a little incongruent to, you know, most hunters' thought process. Mm-hmm. You know, most of us that are hardcore hunters, bird, deer, turkey, whatever, you go to the wild places, you go to the prairies and the forests to get away. That's right. The reality is if you care about those places, you actually got to get involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. whether that's in conservation organizations and pick your favorite species. There's a there's an organization that's behind right. them, you know, Trout Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited, um, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. They're all wonderful. Support whichever species you love the most. Yep. Um, but most importantly, you, you got to raise your voice with our elected officials. They they have so much power, but they represent you. Right. You know, whether that's a, your state representative or your U.S. two U.S. senators um, and your U.S. rep, um, all the way up to you know Secretary of Agriculture and President of the United States, you got to make your voice heard yeah. for things you care about. If you care about wild places, wildlife, and wild spaces and access to it, use an email. Use yeah. a, you know use That's your phone. Right. Um, Otherwise, it's going to go away, and it's going to yep. go away on our watch because we are apathetic. Yep. Mm. And uh, can't, you know, can't I, wait for the next guy to show up and and do the work for us, right? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, we we have to we have to raise our voices. That's yep. every one of us. Um, otherwise, the things we care about are going to disappear out of apathy. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so get involved. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Very very well said. Um, so. If you like what you heard here, which we hope you do, I know Nicholas and I sure did. Yeah. We're, we're definitely going to we're definitely going to steal some quotes out of here, and <laughs> you know maybe maybe I'll get around to writing a book someday and I'll feature some of Bob's work in there. But but uh, you can connect with Bob yourself. You can follow him on Instagram, which uh, your Instagram handle you, Pheasant Bob. Pheasant, Pheasant Bob. Bob. Pretty, I love Pheasant it. Bob. Pretty, pretty easy to find me on Instagram. <laughs> uh, I'm on uh, Instagram. I'm on Twitter at uh, just my name, Bob St. Pierre, no period. Um, email Bob S at pheasantsforever.org or Bob S at quailforever.org. Um, you know, and it, love for you to get involved in our organizations. Simple as going to pheasantsforever.org or, or quailforever.org. Um, one of the proudest things, um, you know, I've worked here 20 years, and organization's been around 40 years. Mm-hmm. For the entire four decades, out of every single dollar we raised, for four decades, 90 cents on the dollar has hit the ground mm. to create more habitat. Wow. So the 90% efficiency out of every single dollar. Yep. So. 
you know, this palatial office that we're in, you know, that's, that's some of the 10% that keeps the lights on and, you know, pays a building, um, 90 cents on the dollar. We, you know, you guys came here today. It's a nondescript office park in White oh, yeah. Bear Lake, Minnesota. It could be, you know, a glue factory here, yeah. <laughs> right? But it, it, you know, we always are taking, this as a badge of honor, this, you know, little bitty office is exactly what it should be, yep. right? The dollars for this organization that are raised through sponsorships, memberships, grants are going out there on the ground to create more habitat. We just need more people to be involved. Yep. Yeah, I was going to brag on that on that too. Uh, there's, there's, I don't know of another, and there's plenty of great, uh, uh, you know, conservation organizations out there that, that are, you know, operating in a very honest way, but, but Pheasants Forever really has that reputation of, of yeah. getting the, the most use out of a dollar that's uh, set their way. So, and something else I want to add about Pheasants Forever is I've, I've met hundreds at least uh, members and, and now several employees of Fence Forever and, and every chapter president, every person I've ever talked to, I think, I can't think of a single um, example on the contrary, has been one of the kindest, most passionate, um, enjoyable people to be around. And, and uh, you expect that on a local level, people yeah. who are involved in the local level. And then coming here in, in Minneapolis and meeting you and meeting a couple other, and even people that would just be at the door and hold the door open, <laughs> just smiling. Man, I, I was, that touched me a lot because what you do is amazing, but who you guys are is just as amazing. And, and we've loved being well, here. Well, th- thank you. I, I told a story on our podcast recently about, I, I get contact. What, what, real quick, what is that podcast? We want to make sure that, that our, our listeners hear about it. I'm a listener. I'm a, I'm a regular listener, but we'll let you uh, <laughs> yeah, introduce think, yeah. your own show uh, here. On the Wing podcast is the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever podcast. Um, release an episode about once a week. Mm-hmm. Talk about everything from bird dogs to wild food, So, yep. uh, including native prairie, right? That's right. So That's right. Habitat, our mission. So, um, But on, on our podcast, I was telling the story um, – Almost every week, I get a call from somebody wanting to use our logo. So that's mm-hmm. not out of the norm. But probably on a monthly basis, um, twice a month, somebody wants to use it on a tattoo, which is fine. Sure. <laughs> but, but on a, Give us your skin back. Right. You didn't ask for permission. Oh, that's trademark. Which is, kind of, which is fun. But that, that starts to tell you the magnitude of the passion yeah. people have for the organization, right? That yep. they want to put quail forever or pheasants forever logo on their body forever Mm -hmm. but what's is startling is about once a month get a contact from a family member or a funeral home that wants to put the pheasants forever logo engraved on a casket or embroidered on the inside of a a casket and wow you know in, in terms of you know grounding a person who works for an organization and collects a paycheck. I get paid to do this, and we have mm-hmm. thousands of volunteers that do work on behalf of this organization as a volunteer for free. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not lost on me, you mm-hmm. know, that yep. I'm getting paid, and this is such a passion of people that they not only wanted um, an ink on their body while they're alive, they want the logo connected with them in their death. Mm-hmm. Wow. So 
you know, yeah. to your point, yeah. Nicholas, like, you know, when, when we go to work every day, we're passionate about the mission. We're also passionate about the organization and carry that gravity of, um, this is, this is a heavy, like, obviously we want to have fun, right, um, but this right. is, this is heavy, but this is important stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, we take it real serious. Yeah. Love it. Very well said. And, uh, yeah, if you want to want to tune in and hear more, you can head over to anywhere you can find a podcast, I believe. Find on right the on. podcast, hear more from Bob. Definitely follow on Instagram. A lot of good stuff on there. I was impressed yeah. with your off-season uh, dog training regimen, which we <laughs> didn't really get that much into your uh, into your gun dogs that you have. Oh. And, and we'll be more specific here. Bird dogs, really, right? Gun dogs includes the waterfowl guys. Mm. Bob is a is a is a hardcore Uplands guy. So, Damn. so uh, his his bird dogs, and uh, uh, just a, a passionate guy. And uh, make sure you get there and and follow along so you can enjoy that content as well. Thank you so much, Bob, for coming yeah. on the show. Yeah, so, thanks for having me, and appreciate you guys making the trip from Iowa. And I'm glad you saw some beautiful uh, flowers along the way. Made yeah. made the trip worthwhile. That's right. That's right. And uh, thank you to all of you for tuning in. Remember, the Prairie Farm Podcast is presented by Hoxie Native Seeds. So head over to hoxienativeseeds.com to see everything that uh, we have going on here at on the Prairie Farm. And you can go to theprairiefarm.com here pretty soon. Nicholas is working feverishly, <laughs> burning, <laughs> burning the midnight oil. Which was a real thing I found out recently. There, was, there, there really was a supply known as the mid, the midnight oil, but that's a whole. Other well, it's all gone well. because I've been trying to work on a website. So, <laughs> but uh, pretty soon you'll be able to go to theprairiefarm.com as well. And uh, remember, keep that optimistic mindset. And conservation happens one yard at a time.